everybody, I'm Connor, that's Doug, and welcome to Tax Talk, a podcast where we'll answer all your burning IRS questions. For example, how many venti mocha lattes do you need to order before you can officially deduct Starbucks as a workspace? Is a shoebox the best place to keep your receipts, or should you keep it in the freezer with your money? And finally, we'll determine how much prison time is okay for your accountant to have served before you shop around for someone new to handle your finances. Connor, Connor, although the internet has deemed you worthy to be an ordained minister, standards are a little higher when it comes to being a CPA. CPA? What's a CPA? Exactly. And that's why I'm thankful this is not that podcast. This is the Bethel School District presents a podcast about the Bethel School District. And we are going to start this week's show with some serious news. We are. Former Bethel School Board Director Warren T. Smith Sr. recently passed away after a long illness. Warren was first elected to our school board in 1986. He left the board in 1999 to serve as president of the Washington Board of Education from 2000 to 2011, but was once again elected to the Bethel School Board in 2013. He retired from the board in 2018. School board president Brenda Rogers held a moment of silence for Warren at a recent school board meeting and had this to say. Warren is a father, a grandfather, a veteran, a foster parent for many, many years, and a dear, dear friend to many in the Bethel School District. Our thoughts go out to the Smith family during their time of loss. Fredrickson Elementary is doing some great work when it comes to making students successful in the classroom. Principal Marie Poe was quick to credit her staff for their hard work. Fredrickson is a very special place full of gifted and talented teachers, and we've been intentional about identifying what those gifts are in our teachers, empowering them to want to serve our building. And what you're going to see as a result is instead of Fredrickson being a top-down, everything coming from the principal, we have a community of leaders supporting each other and our school to ensure that our students have what they need. Assistant Principal Brian Forsberg said kindness was something they're working on to cultivate in their school. We like to say it's cool to be kind at Fredrickson because our students are amazing. And that's one thing we want to contribute to and make sure all of our students feel that they are cared for, they're kind, and we are creating an environment where they can come to school and thrive in their learning environment. While kindness is the goal, there are always those moments when students aren't kind. Well, we know there are times where they make choices that may not be the best for their um, behavioral growth. But one thing we do is we have them reflect and go through those choices so we can talk about where they can improve or what they can do better next time if they're found in a similar situation. And one thing is we always do a re-entry when they go back into that learning environment to repair on that relationship with the staff members and the students, because that's part of the restorative practices we've implemented at Fredrickson is to have them re-enter that environment that is safe for all learners. To make sure the work they're doing is impactful, the team at Fredrickson is using panorama survey data to track increases in areas like cultural awareness, which has seen a 10% increase recently. And Brian Forsberg said the school climate was rated a very impressive 84%. Our school climate is at 84%. We take a lot of pride there. And even tonight, as I'm leaving the building, we hear families walking down the hallways during conferences and say, Fredrickson is a warm place. I can feel the kindness in our building. We have an amazing office staff where our parents have even quoted. They walk in and they can feel the hugs around them because Fredrickson is such a kind and warm environment to come to. That's great stuff going on over there at Fredrickson. The team also mentioned the work of their school counselor, and she and all other counselors and social workers across the district are seeing a change in the way they do business. 
They are. The school board recently adopted the Comprehensive School Counseling Social Worker Program Transition Plan. In 2021, the state legislator passed Substitute Senate Bill 5030 to clarify the role of the student counselor. 5030 required districts to develop, adopt, and implement a comprehensive school counseling plan like ours for all schools to address students' social, emotional, academic, and career development in alignment with the American School Counselor Association's national model. Cougar Mountain Middle School counselor Caitlin Peterman said this has helped her school see some positive changes. Overall, our data has shown that because of the work that is done in the counseling center, we have seen an increase in self-help, self-regulation, and problem-solving skills. In the future, we hope to collaborate with feeder schools and open up the counseling center with opportunities for peer teaching and learning so kids can not only learn from our staff, but also learn from one another. It's really great to hear about all the work that's being done over there. Well, Doug has wandered off again. This time he's found his way over to Bethel High School to talk about, is this right, salmon recipes? Over to you, Doug. Thanks, Connor. I'm sitting here with Jacqueline Brindable, agricultural sciences teacher at Bethel High School, and Richie Lindbergh, a senior in her class. Thanks for joining us today. Jacqueline, as the agricultural sciences teacher, you've got to have a lot of great hands-on stuff going on in class. Before we start talking about salmon, let's talk about some of the other projects that have preceded this one. So this is my second year teaching, and one of the classes that the salmon get raised in, it's called Fish and Wildlife Conservation, and we spend a lot of time learning about salmon, their life cycle, the traditional names, where they come from, the meaning. One project that I do is I partner up with one of the culinary teachers here and I teach the students my grandmother's recipe of how to cook salmon. There's lots of different ways and techniques so I think it's a really cool opportunity. That's so funny that you bring that up because one of my last questions and I felt kind of bad asking about it was how both of you enjoyed salmon <laughs> but I know we're talking about <laughs> releasing creatures into yeah. the wild and I wasn't sure if we'd be talking about that but I love that that, that project is something that you're already doing. Thank you. Another species that we learn about is our oysters and abalone. So in this class we focus only on aquatic species and we also talk about water quality and we test our water whether it's in the classroom from our sink or we go around school campus and test the different bodies of water. And fish and wildlife conservation isn't the only class you teach here at Bethel High. Talk about some of the other things that you're up to. Something else that I teach is called forestry, wildlife, and conservation. And that one, instead of focusing on aquatic species, we focus on land. So one thing that we're doing in the classroom, it's called verma composting, where we have red wiggler worms. And we partner up with the culinary teachers as well. They have a composting bin bucket in their classrooms. And I'll have a TA or another student go over to their classrooms, pick it up, or they'll do the same, vice versa. And the students learn about how we can compost and what the beneficial uses are, whether it's for your garden or just an experience of what composting is in the classroom or out by the greenhouse. We also have composting bins out there. Something else that we do in that class for forestry is we talk about native plant species and the students just recently actually made salve where we took lavender and learned how to make a salve out of natural ingredients. That also kind of coincided with our bee unit and we learned that you can use beeswax to make salve. I was a little worried when you said you teamed up with culinary and you were talking about worms. I didn't know where we were going to go with that one. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it's composting. So, Richie, you've been taking agricultural sciences classes for two years now. What's been your favorite part? My favorite part has probably been raising the salmon. Another thing I really liked that we did was growing the cabbage in the hydroponic system. It was fun watching it grow slowly in a classroom. Well, thanks for getting us to salmon. That's what we're here to talk about today. And Jacqueline, you said this is your first time raising the salmon. What gave you the idea to do this in the first place? 
Last December, I was able to take one of my fish and wildlife classes to the Puyallup Historical Hatchery, and we went there, and after our salmon unit, they were able to actually see, like, how are salmon raised in a hatchery setting, and one of the members of that hatchery was talking about salmon in the classroom and it's through the Fish and Wildlife Service and a community member last summer donated 75 gallon fish tanks to my program so getting the fish tanks was the first step and then the career tech educational admin purchased the other tools that you need in order to raise salmon in the classroom and so working with the PL Patry they helped me decide what type of tools and equipment that are needed for this. I love that. I love that the community got involved and donated those tanks. So are both tanks being used for this project? Only one of the tanks are raising about 250 coho salmon and the other tank, Richie, and two other students have created a project on building an ecosystem in it and we will later on add more fish species that'll stay in the classroom and not be released. In that tank we put uh, rocks from the greenhouse, we put gravel and we put sand. And we have four different types of grass that we planted. And it's just another project that we're doing in class. And Richie, I'm going to stay with you. Let's talk about the salmon project. What does it entail? So I vacuum the tank once a week to pick up any food that they don't eat. And I change the water every week to put fresh water in the tank to lower the nitrogen level. The fish waste creates a lot of ammonia. And there's 250 fish in this tank, yes? Yes. How big were they when you got them? And then how big are they now? When we first got them, they're the size of an egg. And now they're about... An inch and a half long. How big is a salmon egg? Like when I when you say egg, I see a dozen eggs in my fridge. You know, what, what are we talking about? How small do they get? They're about the size of a piece of gravel. Okay, so you have 250 of these salmon. Where'd you get them and why coho salmon? When I was talking with the Puyallup Historical Hatchery, they sent me to Fish and Wildlife Services. And on their website, it's called the School Cooperative Program. And you sign up and send in a application of where you want to release and that determines what kind of salmon. So Clark's Creek isn't too far away from the school and it actually borders up with the Puyallup Patchery. So where we actually got the salmon eggs is called Voigt's Creek Hatchery in Ording. So I went there in December over winter break. Richie, I'm sure you've learned more than most people are ever going to know about salmon in class. What are some things about salmon that you've learned that have surprised you? Well, in order to keep the salmon, the tank needs to be at 46 degrees Fahrenheit. So we have a cooler in the tank to keep it there. That's interesting because you normally hear about fish tanks having heaters, so they have to have a cooler temperature. Why, why is that? It's to mimic their habitat. They come from the river, so the rivers are usually pretty cold. Is there anything else you have to do to the tanks to mimic that habitat? Yes, we have a constant water flow, and we keep it covered for darkness. Okay, Jacqueline, by the time people hear this, the salmon will have been released, which you're doing at the Puyallup Hatchery. Now that they're in the wild, what's the life of these salmon look like? How long do they live? How big are they going to grow? And where are they going to go? So depending on the species of salmon that you are raising or wanting to fish for later on, the amount of time that they spend in freshwater and saltwater all depend on the types. So we've got coho. They could potentially live up to six years. So when they get released into Clark's Creek, they're going to try to make their way to the Puyallup River. And once they get to the Puyallup River, they'll try to go to the Salish Sea or known as the Port of Tacoma. One thing that I teach in my classes, it's called Traditional Ecological Knowledge, or TEK, and it's traditional knowledge about Native people. I try to tie that in in all my classes. Um, I'm Alaska Native, I'm Simshian, and I'm a tribal member of the Ketchikan Indian community. And with that 
heritage background, I try to teach students different things that are going on in the Pacific Northwest and tie it back to Native education. So one of them being about coho, they can be up to 12 pounds if they make it. So salmon have a pretty difficult life once they're in egg form, just from different predators and different water quality, depending on where they're spawning at. But they can spend up to about five years in brackish water, or known as like where the river meets the sea. So where it's kind of salty, kind of fresh. And then they'll spend their time out in the Salish Sea and head back over to Clark's Creek if they spawn sometime in the fall. I don't think a lot of people know that about salmon. A lot of people just know what they see in the supermarket. And so let's circle back around to the beginning of the interview. You mentioned you teach your grandma's salmon recipe with your students. Before we get to that, and I don't know if you'll share it or not, Richie, are you a fan of salmon? And if so, how do you like it prepared? Yeah, I really enjoy salmon. And my favorite preparation for it is to bake it and put lemon over on top of it. Classic preparation. Jacqueline, Will you share some of your grandma's recipe here with us on the podcast? It also includes lemon, but you'll have to take my fish and wildlife class to really learn the true recipe. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great plug. I love it. Richie Lindbergh, Jacqueline Brendable, thanks for joining us. Jacqueline, you have another project coming up in May. Tell us about that as a tease before we get out of here. A student organization that I brought back into the district is our FFA program. An annual fundraiser that we do is our FFA plant sale. One class I teach is called Greenhouse Management Hydroponics, and the students that are in my greenhouse class take care of the plants that will get sold. The FFA plant sale will start May 1st through 3rd after school. Sounds like just in time for Mother's Day. Good timing, and thank you both again for joining us today. Well, Connor, we can close the show talking more about salmon or circle back to the top and talk about taxes. What's your preference, taxes or salmon? What about taxes on salmon? Did you know in Norway, a new proposal to tax salmon farms would triple the tax burden on large salmon farming businesses with some forced to pay more than 100% in tax? (laughs) Of course I didn't. Who would know that? If you tried picking up a book every once in a while. Wow. Well, on that note, we're going to queue up some students from the Cougar Mountain Middle School Orchestra who performed March of the Kings at a recent school board meeting. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. (laughs) 